When I was first challenged to memorize scripture, I was told that this is a perfect size card to do that. It's like a business card that you could write on back of. <clears throat> so this week, I was thinking, how can I really encourage you to not only memorize this, but think about it? And I decided you needed these kind of cards. And so I, I want to confess that our graphic design people had nothing to do with it. It would have looked a lot better. <clears throat> I did it on my telephone. I went to the business card and uh, need it in 24 hours, and I, I, I was able to type this out, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a mistake I made in a minute, but right now, these, these are right, okay, <clears throat> and uh, so if you can put this, you know, we, we put things on the bathroom mirror, you know, and you can put it on the mirror in your car, some of you have extremely long commutes, and uh, there's, this would just be so good if you could just go over these verses over and over again. So this morning we're going to talk about them. As Johnny said, it's, it's the second part of a three-part series on discipleship. And I don't know how long you've been around church. For some of you, this is not your normal routine. But others of you, you've been coming for years, attending worship services and Bible studies and things like that. And there's a pretty big error, I think, in the way we think as church-going people. We think that people come to personal faith, and then later they consider discipleship. But really, those go together. And everyone who has personal faith has been called to discipleship. Everyone who claims to be a disciple needs to understand what it means to have personal faith. It, it's almost like if you were playing golf and you you tee the ball up and you hit it and then you say oh yeah I'm supposed to follow up you know that's crazy it, it's got to be all one motion if it's going to work and that really is what it means to be a disciple I did a little google search trying to figure out how people would summarize disciple making and I at least found one person who took the effort to put together a history of discipleship. And the history was up until the first two, two or three centuries, discipleship was taking place, but then all of a sudden the church became so formalized that there were priests and laity. And the priests were told they had the Bible, and the laity were told just to shut up and come to church. And so this great chasm fell into how every believer was to be perceived as a growing disciple. And unfortunately, that stayed in church history for way too long until the Reformation. And during the Reformation, there was a declaration that this separation between clergy and laity is not Bible because the word laity, laos, means the people of God. And I'm part of the people of God, okay? So there's no, there's no separation. And there's no differentiation as to who should be trained the most. Because the training that we're going to see that takes place in discipleship is very personal and it's very daily. So let's pray together that God would be our teacher. Father, we open your word with great reverence.
We know that this is the word of God. And so we come to you like little children and we cry out, Father, would you teach us? Holy Spirit, would you shine into our hearts in such a way that we see things maybe that we don't want to see, but things that we ought to see. So we invite you now to be our teacher as we pray a very simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. I hope you can pray that prayer out loud with me. Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow me and follow me. Let's start with Matthew. Johnny and I have been on a kick lately of trying to see who can define disciple-making. I have actually had some interactions and interviews with staff members on larger churches who claim to be the minister of discipleship, the one put in charge of disciple-making. And so I just couldn't help it. I had to ask in those two occasions, how do you define a disciple? And it's interesting to me that there's a guy whose full-time job is to serve on staff of a church who could not give a clear definition of what is a disciple. I really believe this is the most operative, clear, long-lasting definition of a disciple, Matthew 4.19. You remember we looked at it in Luke. We saw how Jesus encountered the fishermen and he told them to follow him. We saw Jesus as he encountered Matthew and he said, follow me. Here in Matthew's gospel, we get a little bit more when Jesus encountered those fishermen that day. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I can, I can help you memorize it right now. It's very simple. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. This is a call from a person to a person to a person. All right? Think about it. It's all very personal. It's a call from a person, the Lord Jesus, to a person, that's me and you, and now we're told we're to do this with him. It's personal. A friend of mine attacks kind of commonly the regular used words in church. And in one of his teachings, I heard him attack, you don't have your own personal Savior. Now, what he meant by that is, would you claim that Jesus is your personal Savior? You can't just make him into the Savior you want him to be, okay? He's one Savior, okay? Just one. So he's not somehow different to you than he is to you. He is who he is. But having said that, he is personal. It's personal to you. Follow me, Jesus says. I hope this morning as you listen to me that you can remember a time when you heard the call from Jesus to follow him. He said, just like he said to those fishermen, you can turn your back on that and you can follow me. Aren't you glad he said you can turn your back on your sin and you can follow me? You can turn your back on your shame and you can follow me. You can have a relationship with creator God follow me. It's very personal. And as he invites us to personally follow him, he says to us that it is not a philosophy. It is not a religion. 
It is not a group of ideas. And yes, we need to remember, it is not a Sunday thing. We're told to follow him. Now, what happens when we follow him? He says, follow me and I will make you. There's an ongoing dynamic to following. I like to play follow the leader with my grandchildren. They're getting a little too old for that now. But for the little children, it's so much fun to just, you know, walk around, take a step up, take a step down, and and just get into a line and say, follow me. Think about what it means to follow Jesus. There's a there's a dynamic to it. It's, it's in time and it's ongoing. But he says, as you follow me, I will make you. The whole idea is when you come to follow him, you're not ready made. And the Christian life is not just add water and see if I can somehow be mature. But he says, when you follow me, I will reform you. I will reshape you. Paul, as he wrote it, he said, we've been called to be a new creation. And like little babes, we grow as we take the milk of the word and as we obey the word and as we get ready to handle real meat of the word because we grow and we obey. Let's talk a little bit about the maturity process of Jesus making you. I've met people who claim to have been followers of Christ for 30 years who basically were about six months old in the Lord because they had never acted on what they'd been taught. They had never digested the word. They had never applied the word to their life. But I've met people that have only been a follower of Christ for a year who you would think had known Jesus for 30 years. I remember I'm getting a little ahead of us telling KK's story someday. But I remember when I met her that she claimed that she'd gone to church but didn't know Christ. And later in, the, in her senior year of high school, she had met Christ. And as she had been transformed by knowing Jesus, she had an opportunity to be trained by a lady who knows a little bit about Bible study. Her name's Kay Arthur. Some of you have heard of Kay, all right? And Kay Arthur taught KK, and she attended a, a lesson with ladies in the morning and then a group with women at night. And she was taught inductive Bible study methods. And when I met KK, she had only been truly a follower of Christ for a few months, but her Bible looked like a coloring book because Kay had taught her how to use different colors to highlight different themes, and, and she showed me her Bible one time and it's like what are you doing in that Bible you know because she had so many things that she'd been learning and in just a matter of months I could honestly say about her I've never met anyone that loves Jesus the way you love Jesus now how did that happen so fast following agreeing obeying listening and doing he remakes us Now, this morning, I'd like for that phrase to be a little haunting to you for a moment or a little affirming to you, whatever you need this moment. And there's probably both kinds, and maybe you have both needs in your life right now. Here's the question. Can you see anything in your life that Jesus is remaking? Can you see him changing you? Has anyone noticed that you're different? 
Have any of your thoughts and attitudes and activities changed because you're a follower of Jesus? If not, I I have to challenge the process in your life. Are you truly following? Because when we are following, he is making us. Now, I'm kind of glad that there's a sense of ongoing process here in this making. The good news is he's not done with me yet. And when he's done with me, he won't be done with me. He'll be welcoming me to himself. But this whole lifelong process of following Jesus is a maturing process. It's a changing process. Is he changing you? Is he making you? Is he reforming you? Follow me and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. Now, I don't know if we have any true fishermen in the house, but I'm not one. I'm not afraid of a worm. I've been stuck many times by a hook. I have caught a lot of fishing gear in trees trying to cast, you know. I, I have... I know a little bit about fishing, but I don't really like it, okay? And I'm not very good at it. And if that fits you, you may think, can you move on to the next verse? Because I don't know anything about fishing. Well, let's make sure we're applying this verse correctly. When Jesus asked them to leave their business, he said, come be a part of my business, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The family business for Peter, James, John, Andrew was fishing. The family business for Jesus had been carpentry, but now it's people. And the call to follow Jesus is a call to the people business. You've been called to his mission. Remember, we found in Luke that his mission was to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus was here on a mission on planet Earth. And he tells us, I want you to come join my family business. I'm going to make you family. And you get to get in on it. The call on our life following Jesus is to be a part of the people business. That is, loving people and leading people to follow Jesus. Now you say, if I do that, how am I going to make a living? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute, but are you making a living or are you living a life? Are you, as you're making a living, are you living the life of following Jesus? So the definition that we believe and we think we can hang everything on is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is, a personal call, a process of renewing and remaking, and joining in the people business with Jesus. Later in the year, we're going to talk to you about who has God put in your life that you need to find yourself longing that they would know Christ. Who has God put in your path as a part of your daily routine or weekly routine and that's the one you should be caring about you can go ahead and start getting ready for that because that's part of what it means to be in the people business following Jesus now let's go to this other card and see what it says about following Jesus 
If you have your journal there, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn over to Luke chapter 9. And let's look together at what Jesus said about people following him. Can I first set the context for you? We looked at it last week in verse 18 when he says to his disciples, so who do the crowd say that I am and who do you say that I am? This morning I would say if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to answer the question of who do you say that he is. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the unique, only begotten Son of God. He is all God and he is all man. He is the infinite God-man. Every time you see him call himself the Son of Man, remember that he's also called the Son of God. He is all God, all man. I love the phrase infinite God-man. That's who he is. He's eternal. He's all God. He's all man. And he said, so who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. When, when uh, it's recorded in Matthew, it says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who he is. Now notice he told them, verse 21, don't tell anyone this. <laughs> That's kind of opposite of what the preacher tells you on Sunday, right? You, you come to church and the preacher says, go tell everybody who he is. Why at this moment did Jesus say, don't tell anyone who I am? Because he knew that there was a process unfolding, moving him to the cross. And he tried to explain that to them in verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day to be raised. He told them, but on that side of the cross, they had trouble understanding what he meant. So now he brings this home, he applies it to them, and he says, if any man, if anyone would come after me. The great invitation of Jesus every day to our life is, come unto me. If you're weak and burdened, come unto me. Aren't you glad that every day you don't have to worry what kind of mood he's in? You know what kind of mood he's in. He's in the open-armed, welcoming mood anytime you need him. He said, if you would come after me, if you want to be a part of who I am, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to know. If anyone would come after me, three things. Notice they're very clear right there on the card before you. Let him deny himself. Now, through the years, people have struggled as to what's the best way to prove that you deny yourself. <clears throat> I've gone through some pretty weird uh, denial phases in my life. It was about the year 2000. Maybe some of you were not born or just barely born. But in, in the year 2000, I found myself controlled by Diet Coke. I was a Diet Coke-aholic, okay? Now, let me explain to you how bad it was. I would drink two or three, two liters every day. In addition to going to the restaurant at least once or twice and having just constant refills. Now, you agree, right? I was a Diet Coke-aholic, right? And... I just came to the point I realized, you know, I just, I just can't do this. 
And by God's grace, since the year 2000, uh, I have not had a soft drink of any kind. Now, I'm not bragging. I'm confessing (laughs) that I had to learn to deny myself because of something that was controlling me. Now, every time I go on a diet, the biggest thing I have a problem with is French fries. I just, I love French fries, okay? And the more I keep talking about this, you're going to think, what time can I go to lunch today? All right, we got a little more time, all right? But I love French fries. And so to prove that I was not controlled by French fries, two different times in my life, I've gone an entire year, calendar year, without eating a French fry, just to prove that I could. Now, please don't ask me to do it again, all right? But I I can do it. Now, people have weird ideas of what it means to deny themselves. We're about to enter into a season that some people, depending on their religious background and how they approach it, think they need to go through 40 days of denial waiting on Easter. We're going to call you to 40 days of prayer, but we're not necessarily going to call you to 40 days of denial. Now, there are times you might deny food so that you can focus on God. I don't know if you've ever tried fasting, but fasting of food or fasting for things like Diet Cokes and French fries, okay? It can remind you when the time comes that you're saying no to something so you can say yes to something else. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. I don't think Jesus was talking about public ways that we prove to people that we're suffering because we're doing without something. I think what he's trying to say to us is, if you're going to come after me, you've got to decide whose agenda you want to follow. Do you want to follow yours or do you want to follow mine? Do you want to be in this for possessions or do you want to be in this for a personal relationship with me? Do you want to be in this for positions of honor or a personal relationship with me? There are many times in life we get controlled by things that we don't even know are controlling us. Pursuing a bigger house pursuing a better car I don't have any problem in you living in a house or or owning a car but I do think to be true to the scripture I have to challenge you do you own the house or does the house own you do you own the car or does the car own you do you own the position that you're pursuing at work or does that position own you Jesus said if you're going to follow me you have to deny yourself You have to say no to certain things so you can say yes to me. Are you with me? There's a little more of the verse, but I can keep preaching this part. Have you got it? If you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. And then, what does it go on to say? And take up his cross. You know, it's, it's so easy for us way over here on the timeline to look back on Jesus knowing he died on a cross and then think about what he's telling his disciples before he died on a cross. Aren't we glad that it's recorded in Scripture that he told them it was going to happen? I mean, that's, that gives us a lot of confidence in the plan of God that Jesus knew where he was headed, right? But 
when we get over here and look back on that and try to grasp what that meant and what he was saying, don't be so hard on the disciples, okay? Because they didn't understand how he was going to have to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. They didn't understand the true picture of the kingdom of God. They didn't understand how it required a suffering servant paying for our sins so that the righteous God could see his righteousness satisfied in the death of his son. They didn't get that. So when he said to them, take up your cross, how can we understand what they thought? I, I thought about doing a little inventory at this point in, in the message saying, Okay, is there a lady in the house who has a nice cross around her neck? You know, uh, we, we have those. I bought KK those, you know, nice crosses, right kind of chain to put it, you know, the, I don't understand adornment, but I understand that ladies know those things, right? But can you imagine someone walking in today and how, how graphic should I be? A, an electric chair? And you look at it and say, what is that? Or some kind of big needle. And you say, what is that? It's like the chemicals that are injected into a person's body when they are executed for a crime. Or painfully, some kind of noose where a person would be hung around the neck and put on a tree to left to die. The disciples understood what a cross was for. We don't. The cross was designed by the Roman government to be the most cruel, effective, emotional statement of punishment that anyone could ever imagine. A cross was used to take a convicted criminal of a crime that required them to be put to death after they were beaten to let them naked and shamefully carry their instrument of death through the streets to the appointed place where they would be nailed to it publicly high enough for people to see them there with the crime they had committed nailed above their head to declare why they were dying and that every passerby could understand that this person deserves to die and the government deserves to demand payment publicly for a crime so everyone would know that they shouldn't live like that because that crime deserves death and they shouldn't commit it. No mistake in the disciples' minds. Not jewelry. Death. If anyone would come after me, let him deny his own agenda and let him take up a cross and follow me to my death. Does that describe what we understand about disciple making? That we've been personally called to a relationship with Jesus that we might 
let him remake us and reform us into his own image and that we might be willing to say my agenda Lord Jesus is set aside for your agenda and I want to follow you even to know that I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live but it's not I but Christ who lives in me and this life I live in this flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I identify with you in your death so that I might identify with you in your resurrection take up your cross and follow me now I told you a few minutes ago that when I printed these cards that it actually cost me $30 and not 20 because when they sent me the proof back I didn't read it and then they sent me the bill to go pick it up and I glanced at it on my phone and I had left off the word daily so I had to do it again take up his cross daily it's a painful $10 memory for me okay I want to see if I can make it a memory for you not a Sunday thing not a religious thing not a once a year thing but if you're going to follow me deny yourself take up your cross daily what does that mean every day preach the gospel to yourself Oh, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every day, all the time, I need you. I need one that could pay for my wrongdoing so that I might learn how to live in what is right. Not so that I could impress God that how good my works are, but so Christ might be seen as he demonstrates he's changing me into the image of his dear son. Take up his cross daily. Sunday, nice acting believers are not disciples necessarily. Disciples are those who every day understand that they are called. They've, they've heard the personal call to come to Jesus and follow him, denying their own agenda taking up their cross, laying down their rights, understanding that they need to die to themselves so they can live to God. And they daily apply the gospel to their lives and they follow him. Now, I've thought a lot about what it means to follow Jesus. And I've also thought that what we read in the gospels about those who were walking with him and following him, we can't really do that today. So is the call to follow Jesus something that was only for those men and women, or is the call still alive for us today? And I remember one day I was reading at the end of John's gospel. It's not in your little Luke handout, okay? 
But if you have a copy of the scripture with you, and you would, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 21 for a moment. In John chapter 21, we read that famous encounter with Peter after he denied the Lord. And some would call that this is a time of, of Jesus restoring Peter. Remember, he had denied the Lord three times, and three times he says, Peter, do you love me? But that's not, that's not why I had you turn, all right? That's the context of what's going on. And right after that exchange between Jesus and Peter, Jesus said, there's going to come a time. I'm in verse, see if I can read it here, 18. You remember when you were young and you used to dress yourself. Hey, there you go. For those of you that have little children, uh, show them this verse. It comes the time you get to dress yourself, all right? He said, remember when you were young and you dressed yourself. Man, I saw a picture this week of my granddaughter, and they had tacky day at school, and this little girl, first what, first or second grade, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Which, I, I've got 11 now, okay? I know their names in birth order, all right? I, I don't know how old they are, but the, the youngest grandchild on tacky day decided to outdo everybody, and my, was she tacky. I mean, she had on socks and garb. I mean, it was just everywhere. She dressed herself, okay? And she probably won the award at school for how she dressed herself. Jesus said, to, that's not what he said to Peter. You know, don't, not tacky day at school. He said, remember when you used to dress yourself and you walk wherever you wanted to go? But I'm telling you, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Thank you, Jesus, for the encouragement, Peter said. <laughs> it's good to know that the time's going to come that I'm not even going to be able to dress myself, and they're going to take me. And, and John even added, this he said by what kind of death that he was to glorify God. Most people believe that, that Peter was, in fact, crucified for his following Jesus. And church history seems to record that when they started to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way my Lord died. Turn me upside down. And legend and stories of church history say he was crucified upside down because of his commitment to follow Jesus. Now John's recording later that, that this is what he, that exchange was about. But I want you to see what the, it's just one little part. It's in red letters in my Bible in verse 19. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, remember the context. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is on his way back to heaven. But he says to Peter, follow me. How in the world can he follow him? He's not going to heaven with him. No, but heaven's coming to live inside of him. And the Holy Spirit was coming to indwell Peter. And he was to know that every day he could wake up and say, okay, God, what are we going to do today? What have you got in store for me now? Who can I meet? Where can I go? What can I do that will bring honor to you, Jesus, as I follow you? Peter, though, was still remembering that he was going to have to be led where he didn't want to go when he was old. So in verse 20, Peter looked at the disciple whom Jesus loved, humble John, didn't want to call his own name, right? He said, he, he looked at the disciple whom he loved, and he saw that, He's the one who leaned on Jesus at the supper. And when Peter said to him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? <laughs> Just like kids, right? Mom and dad make you do something, and the kids, well, make her do it too, you know? 
Peter was just told what he's going to have to do, and he looks over at John, and he says, why is the bad gig given to me? What about him? And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, whatever I do with him is none of your business. You follow me. And I had you turn here because I wanted to show you in resurrection and in departure, Jesus still had the same call on his disciples. The call is, follow me, let me remake you, and let me put you in the family business. And as you come after me, it's going to require that you deny your agenda and take up mine, and you're willing to lay down your rights and follow me daily, follow me. So I want to ask you a few inventory questions as we close. Am I following Jesus? On Matthew 4.19, I ask you, have you heard his call? Are you being changed? Have you reported the duty to be part of the family business? For Luke 9.23, I ask you, are you denying your life and choosing his? Are you laying down your agenda? Or are you seeking position, possessions, and power that will not last? In the next verse, Jesus said, back in Luke 9, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. And then he asked a really weird question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I can make you 100% promise this morning. Everybody listening to my voice will die now you say what if Jesus comes back okay I'll make you another promise everybody listening to my voice will one day stand before God and what does that mean it means we could pursue having everything this world has to offer but the old preacher got it right you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You cannot take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. And I would challenge you to live for eternity by following Jesus and taking on his agenda. Would you pray with me?